The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome back to the second hour of Scorebox. In the headlines, a 3,000-point sell-off. It's the worst day for U.S. stocks since 1987, while the volatility index hits a record high. President Trump talks about recession fears. We're not thinking in terms of recession. We're thinking in terms of the virus. Once we stop, I think there's a tremendous pent-up demand, both in terms of the stock market and in terms of the economy. And once this goes away, once it uh, goes through and we're done with it, I think you're going to see a tremendous, a tremendous surge. U.S. airlines say they need a $50 billion bailout to survive the crisis in what could be the biggest rescue for the sector since 9-11. Volkswagen says the virus makes a 2020 outlook impossible as the carmaker reports a solid 2019 but can't predict how long or severe the downturn will be. Aerospace giant Airbus decides to temporarily halt production, suspending its assembly activities in both France and Spain to contain the virus. And Britain ramping up its restrictions, urging people to avoid social gatherings. But the Prime Minister Boris Johnson stopping short of closing schools, saying it is not the right move just yet. Now is the time for everyone to stop non-essential contact with others stop all unnecessary travel. You should avoid pubs, clubs, theatres and other such social venues. Uh, so welcome back, everybody, or thank you for joining us if you're just tuning in for this hour. The Dow fell almost 3,000 points then after President Trump said the U.S., quote, may be heading into recession. The Nasdaq reported its biggest one-day fall ever. The Dow's decline, the worst day since the Black Monday crash of 1987, and its third worst daily performance ever. And when you looked at the way the market moved yesterday, you might have thought it would be at the top of this board but in fact 1987 is the big sell-off that we benchmark just about everything against but uh, let's make no mistake about it it was a very chaotic day in the market yesterday as we continue to see selling and very few buyers step in U.S. futures, though, let's just show you how we're doing on the futures board this hour. They've rebounded somewhat after the U.S. leader tweeted that support measures for industry are on their way. And the early indication, and I can tell you that when we came up here, Karen and I, and did this about an hour ago, we were looking at a Dow Jones rebound of somewhere between six to 800 points. Um, that's now moved to a thousand points plus. But as I say, we will continue to see how long this sentiment improves for. Um, we always see with these kind of crisis market situations, you get panic, bounce, panic until some visibility begins to emerge either on what is the right fundamental price level or some clarity in this case on how we tackle this virus. Speaking at a White House press conference earlier in the evening, the president encouraged people to avoid gatherings of more than 10 people. His administration also urged Americans to avoid restaurants, bars and suggested they cancel non-essential travel and homeschool their children. 
This, as President Trump, struck a, a downbeat tone on the duration of the outbreak. Seems to me that if we do a really good job, uh, we'll not only hold the death down to a, a level that is uh, much lower than the other way, had we not done a good job, uh, but people are talking about July, August, something like that. So it could be right in that period of time where it, I say wash, it washes through. Other people don't like that term, but where it washes through. So let's talk about the, uh, the volatility then. As you can see on this chart here, it uh, gives you a fairly good indication of how coronavirus has affected sentiment. And we've had that dramatic spike in risk off trade. And that volatility has uh, led to this significant spike in the VIX. The Asian markets, uh, we had a bit of a split session. Um, we're obviously still bedding down as far as these markets are concerned. But as you can see, the Nikkei just managing to put in a positive session so far here. The Hong Kong market is up four-tenths of one percent and the Kospi and the Shanghai Composite both negative here. But uh, as I say, when Karen and I were last here about 60 minutes ago, the Shanghai Composite was down about eight-tenths of one percent. So we have seen some improvement here. I think effectively tracking what we've seen in terms of the implied open uh, as as uh, suggested by the US futures at this stage, Karen. We're setting up for a decent session here in Europe and don't forget all eyes on the fiscal response. We already had a number out of France today, 45 billion euros in crisis fighting measures for the French. The early calls are 52 to the upside for the French market. This was done heavily yesterday, five and three quarters of one percent, the extent of the rhetoric that we saw on the French market, but also a G7 later on, all eyes on the extent of money thrown at the system to try and limit the downside. At this point, uh, we're all looking at uh, the implications for downturn technical recessions in some countries. And we've heard from a number of commentators about how long that endures will be the impact for, for many stock markets. If we get a fiscal response, it could have market moving implications uh, combined with some of the measures we've already seen from central banks. But you can see clearly green arrows on these boards. But a note of caution, we have seen this before. It hasn't necessarily stuck around for the entirety of these European sessions, where typically we've been seeing a fade at the back end of the trading day. But watch the US markets too. They'll have important bearing on sentiment. Speaking of which, uh, let's take a look at the airlines. They're clearly the epicenter of a lot of the selling that we've seen in recent days and weeks. The United, for instance, has been uh, down a fairly mighty 59% so far year to date. In terms of some of the market moves, you can see how they're playing out for Delta, down 6.6% in session yesterday, about 9% on Southwest Airlines. And the latest is that uh, we did see a slight recovery in some of those trades in the session after the president tweeted the United States will be powerfully supporting those industries like airlines and others that are particularly affected by the Chinese virus. He doubled down on that message during his press conference. As far as the airlines are concerned, the airlines, we're going to uh, back the airlines 100%. not their fault. Uh, it's nobody's fault unless you go to the original source, but it's nobody's fault. And uh, we're going to be in a, a position to help the airlines very much. We've told the airlines we're going to help them. Well, we're going to be helping. We're going to be backstopping the airlines. We're going to be helping them very much. It's very important. Her President Trump there. Lewis Costa joins us, head of uh, CEEMEAFX and rate strategy at City. And, of course, Steve will join in the conversation uh, from London. Um, Lewis, let's, let's start with uh, the market reaction here and just get your thoughts on this. The herd 
is moving to de-risk and has been liquidating across almost all asset classes. Even gold, which has been perceived as a safe haven, hasn't really done its job this time around. Is there any reason not, if you are a short, medium term uh, focused investor, any reason at this point not to liquidate and go to cash? I think very, very, very little. Um, You are in an environment where uncertainty is at the peak is still at the peak right and uh, you've uh, you've heard the president uh president trump saying that i mean maybe august maybe that washes through you know as we go into the summer but there are all sorts of question marks even if you talk to experts um all sorts of question marks i mean how the virus will perform and when uh, uh, temperatures rise in europe um some experts who experts are you know speculating about a 10 to 20 percent reduction uh in the transmission rate uh which is good but it's not you know it's not necessarily vouching for a total uh um uh uh, 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 killing of, of the virus so over the summer. So all sorts of questions. And, and the problem is um, we know the Fed, we know the ECB, they're all coming to the rescue. Fed, a 500 billion program, I mean, plus 200 billion more of MBSs, but it's not a financial issue. It's turning into a financial issue because of the uncertainty, but the issue is virological. And, and we have to understand that you know in order for the markets to respond better we have to show better contention of the numbers and 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 it's just as simple as that and unfortunately we are not there yet i I mean the problem here it seems to me for the professionals and this reflects the problem for everybody else as well that you've got a, a a way of analyzing your risk called var which doesn't have a box in it on the spreadsheet where you put in virus risk and so, as you say, we are at the moment fumbling around a little in the dark, trying to read what the real economic consequences are going to be for earnings. We've had all this AI and these algos responding through the machines that, again, don't have an input in them that says virus response. Absolutely. So I guess, is there a framework that you can think of or you can remember from previous market sell-offs which it's useful to apply in these circumstances. I mean, in terms of the one-day sell-off, it didn't come near 1987, but 3,000 points is 3,000 points. A lot. It moved a lot. No, no, there's no doubt valuation-wise, if you look into emerging markets, for example, valuation-wise, here we go. I mean, we've got good news for the long-term investor that, you know, now we've got some pretty cheap stuff out there. But the problem is the pretty cheap stuff might get, in one month's time, might get even cheaper. So, um, and we are in an environment where investors came into the virus crisis already with a long position, very long, in very liquid stuff, right? I mean, they were not necessarily in the liquid stuff because the liquid stuff was already very expensive. So, um, the positioning uh, together with the uncertainty will probably uh, bias people towards a little bit more, you know, squaring of positions. And I don't think we are there yet. We are starting to see redemptions um, in high-yielding funds, in the major market funds, in, in the risky stuff. This this is happening now as we speak. Um, but, you know, given the uncertainty, uh, we, uh, it's very easy to say the portfolio managers out there will be biased towards streaming a little bit more rather than putting new risk on the table, right? But yes, valuations are becoming more attractive. You're starting to see um, some stuff out there in hard currency, in local currency, on the equity space that, yes, is starting to look appealing. 
as uh, President Trump said, you know, once you deal with the crisis, uh, uh, the virus crisis, yes, you know, people will open their eyes and they will open the terminals and say, oh, this is quite cheap. I'm going to jump in, but not now. Steve. I want to um, jump in, if I may, and just explain another one of the technicals of the market. I've talked in previous shows about the lack of market makers, the lack of dampening effect there. We don't have specialists anymore because we don't have the prop trades in-house. I talked about the algos as well, but I want to add another aspect now, and I think the producers have got a chart of the VIX for us as well. Now, we talk about the violence uh, in the market, uh, and obviously these very aggressive moves to the downside, followed by very small rallies, and then more aggressive moves to the downside. And part of that is due to the options market and the derivatives market and I just want to explain a little bit about what's been happening here to our viewers now of course as the market went up people thought it was a free bet to sell volatility the VIX indicator went down to historic lows on a regular basis 10 12 uh, 13 these are all very low levels compared with what we've seen previously in history as well so people then thought well volatility is going to remain low for a very long time so we can sell volatility because it gives us an income we've all talked about Tina we've all talked about Trina i.e there really is no alternative well, what a lot of the fund managers and the pensions and everyone have tried to do is generate income, not only by dividend, but also shorting premium. So let's spin forward to the current time as well, where the market is going aggressively lower. And what it is doing, it is bursting through the skew, so to speak. So volatility starts off here, and then it picks up on the skew on the downside. So puts that people would have sold. And, and Lewis mentioned quite clearly there, and absolutely rightly, the market was long, but it was long in many ways. And shorting puts is another way of creating what's called a long delta. You'll know this from your Greeks as well. So as we went down the skew, we've burst through different expiration levels. And actually, a lot of those shorts have gone very, very badly wrong for the people who sold them, thinking they would get income. And that has created extra volatility as we go down, both in the exotic unlisted market and in the listed markets as well. I'm just giving you another dimension of why we've had extra volatility. Lewis, I don't know if you've got any comment on that. Absolutely. I mean, this is these are called yield-enhancing strategies. And uh, we know that, I mean, giant real money investors out there were using, were abusing of these strategies because, yes, look at Europe. We were dealing with um, already very depressed spreads, uh, even on the IG, even in the high yield world. So um, you are absolutely right. I mean, yield enhancing strategies via selling puts, via selling premium uh, to create a little bit of income in the back of that. They were uh, used and abused and now they are paying for it. And this is exactly my problem with a guest we had on a few weeks ago, long before this crisis started, in fact, right at the start of the crisis. It was trying to advise our viewers to come on with leveraged inverse strategies, leveraged long strategies as well. And quite clearly, they are not suitable for professionals, let alone for our retail audience viewers. And I think too many people, uh, Lewis, were enticing, and you called them yield-enhancing strategy. I call them toxic for investors who just don't understand the complications of what a short-out-the-money put can become in your portfolio if we see violence in the market. So I'm afraid to say too many people were sold down the river with leverage strategies full stop. Yeah, it's so, you know, and now, I mean, I'm afraid that that's one point you made, which I think is very important as well, is the size of the sell side, right? We know that market makers compared to the early 2000s, when, I mean, we last had, you know, fluctuations in the VIX like this, market makers don't have the same size. They don't want to have the same size. They don't have the same balance sheet depth, 
in order basically to sustain, you know, big selling pressure like the ones we are having this. And, and this statement is true all across the asset spectrum. We are talking about equities, high yield bonds, emerging market bonds, and this is an issue. So we've got a bloated asset management industry. Uh, willing to trim some risk, but the sell side or the market-making side doesn't have the same capacity, which actually takes me back to one very interesting statement, which is still in my head. I mean, talking to my traders, and uh, one trader said, look, I mean, if the central banks in developing markets, they want to improve uh, the, the, the liquidity in these markets, they have to start market-making these markets, right? I mean, FX swaps, yes. It's one way to reduce the pressure in the liquidity gaps, but it doesn't entirely solve the issue, right? So you've got a little bit of clogging in this plumbing in terms of, you know, financial markets, which is, which is uh, an issue. And it's actually a byproduct of regulation of so many years of changes in the industry. There now, you know, uh, we have to pay the penalties for that. So we're seeing wider spreads and bid offer in debt markets, and that starts manifesting itself in this illiquidity that we're talking about on markets. But another feature, which is very different this time round, has been reported by some traders as having an impact, work from home. Work from home for a lot of traders means they don't have five or six screens, they've got two screens, also not connecting with colleagues. And there have been some suggestions that more complex strategies that might have been started to evolve at this point to protect portfolios are not happening because there's not that collaboration in offices. What are you seeing when it comes to the, the trades that you've had on, on, on some of these currencies? Do you think some of those complex strategies are suffering because we do have work from home at this point of across many different countries to protect against coronavirus? I believe they do, Karen. I think it's, look, it's, uh, it's the first time we're all going through this, very unfortunately, but it's quite rational to believe that, you know, the connectivity is not the same. Even though I'm working from home, I mean, my team is already working from home since last week, um, but the connectivity is not the same. You don't have the same infrastructure around you. And then you imagine in the, from the trading capacity um, that, uh, that curtails a lot of your flexibility here, which probably tells you that, I mean, investors out there will be probably keeping their hedges on or they will be seeking for hedges. I mean, one of the points I made in my piece that, I mean, it is still an environment that keeps you as an investor biased towards the search for hedges. Hence, you know, what's going on with credit default swaps. Hence, what's going on with them, the, the, the skew and the volatility of effects and the effects markets. Now, people are in this environment looking for hedges because the environment is not conducive of risk taking. And the unintended consequences, uh, Lewis, we were talking a bit about this this morning, weren't we? One of the stories that's making the running in China this morning, the rise in the divorce rate. Would you believe it? Just stepping aside from the markets for a moment here, because all those couples who are having to stay together, quarantined at home, it's like it's like taking that holiday, isn't it? Finding out a lot more about each other. That can be trouble. Streaming can only paper over so many cracks. Yeah. But anyway, the lawyers are licking their lips, no doubt. Steve, we will see you a little bit later on. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson urging people to stay home. Stop short of a full lockdown. Steve has all the details on that story. And just a reminder, we're podcasting. If you have missed us on screen but want all those big moves on markets and views on how to navigate them, check out our podcast. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. 
The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. The EU is set to ban all non-essential travel for a period of at least 30 days. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen proposed the measure on Monday to curb the spread of the coronavirus outbreak and ease the strain on the healthcare systems. The restrictions would apply to all travel within, into and out of the EU. But von der Leyen also specified certain groups would be excluded from the travel ban, including the professionals who are trying to contain the crisis. Of course there will be uh, exemptions. For example, for EU citizens coming back home, for healthcare workers like doctors and nurses, but also scientists working on the solution of this um, health crisis we do see, uh, but also um, co- people commuting on borders uh, who are working on both sides of the borders. For example, there will be exemptions. It is a restriction that should be in place for an initial period of 30 days, And uh, we have been talking about that with the G7 partners. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson has urged people in Britain to avoid theatres, bars and clubs as Downing Street increases its response to the coronavirus outbreak. Well, Steve, uh, we heard about herd immunity the other day and there's been uh, much criticism here in the UK. But yesterday it seems though it's last drinks now at the pub. Yeah, I don't know if there has been much criticism, Karen. I might put you up on that. I know there has been some criticism from some quarters. I've also seen from other quarters a lot of support from the government. I think there's always going to be a band who say you should do more for the economy and not be too draconian against those who are saying you actually need to be more draconian and wake people up. So I think the government is quite rightly trying to find a path through this. And from what I've been seeing, uh, the opinion of the public so far is that the government is doing an adept job uh, so far. Of course, when you go forward with extra measures such as closing the schools is always going to be a huge bone of contention. The economic implications of closing the schools uh, are huge and we know uh, that I know that we're all at risk but as a demographic the kids touch wood are are the least affected and that's something of course all of us as parents uh, would like to see become a fact rather than just uh, what people are are, are saying out there from the medical community but there are a lot of concerns about about the economy and about coronavirus and that's what the government's been doing uh, on a two-fold strategy. One as you're saying, uh, avoiding uh, gathering crowded places, working from home, only use the National Health Service, the fantastic National Health Service, uh, when necessary. If you do have a a cough developing in a household, self-isolate, 14 days, done and dusted as well, especially stringent conditions for the over 70s, uh, pregnant women uh, and those with chronic diseases. They should minimise social contact uh, as a matter of course. This comes as the UK number of deaths jumps 20 in the last 24 hours uh, to 55 with over 1,500 people testing positive. But as you've seen as well, Karen, uh, there are estimates out there of anywhere between 30 and 50,000 people could potentially be positive actually for coronavirus. Uh, a vast number of them not even know it as well. Uh, and that the latest modelling suggests that we're not four weeks behind Italy as originally thought, but we are three weeks behind Italy in terms of where we are uh, in the exposure of the coronavirus. Very interesting research yesterday. I'm sure everyone would have seen it from Imperial College uh, talking about the new suppress and halt strategy they believe 
that this could actually save over 250,000 lives rather than the flattened curve uh, strategy previously as well. Again, Imperial College thinking that perhaps could be up to 50,000 people already infected. We'll talk about the economy and and the coordinated response a little bit later on. Uh, Thank you very much, Steve. We're just debating here on the set that uh, the measures in place currently do not force pubs to close. I was saying yesterday around Portobello Road, business as usual, summer's out and obviously numbers are down a little bit because it's midweek and who's uh, actually at the pub at this point. But still, people are going about their business and having a pint. Um, Unfortunately, I think the government statement puts businesses in a very difficult position because they, if the government came out and said, you must close... Um, as they have done in New York, then that inevitably gives those businesses an opportunity to go back to their insurers Mm. and say, loss of business insurance, this was a government diktat, I had to do this. But what they've done is urged people not to go to those places, which leaves many of the owners of those companies in a difficult spot, I think. So perhaps the one refuge they have is that the Treasury here has talked about a business disruption fund that you can apply to, But obviously, the insurance sector will be looking, I mean, for all those out there who work in it, we know how this operates. You look for loopholes in the small print and ways that you don't have to pay if possible. Can I say mixed messages too? Some people want to support those businesses that are still open, but then the government's saying don't go. So which one are you meant to do? Support people when they're struggling with their businesses or stay at home and self-isolate? I think it's confusing for the public here in the UK. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.